time. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for Tech Tuesday. Welcome back to Tech Tuesday. I'm Myla Wong. My name is Raj Shroff, and I'm a director of applied AI research at Blue Artificial Intelligence. Apple just officially launched its new product, the Fission Pro. Raj, can you give us an overview? What can we do with this new headset? Well, this is easily one of Apple's craziest products to date, and in a good way. Basically, you can use the Vision Pro to do a lot of what you already do with your iPhone, iPad, and even MacBook. For example, you can play games, watch videos, hop onto a FaceTime call, or even work on a document or something work-related. Now, the difference here is that you're using a mixed reality environment instead of a static screen. Where your apps are generally overlaid or digitally overlaid over the real world. So imagine you're looking straight out into your room, but instead of seeing your furniture, you see the furniture in the background, but you see 20 windows of 20 apps you have open at the same time. Now you can kind of take this one step further by choosing to block out reality altogether and immerse yourself in a fully virtual environment. You could transport yourself to a scenic location in Norway. Or even transport yourself to the moon and make that all that you see. And what do you think are its best features? In my opinion, one of the Vision Pro's best features is the ability to sync with your MacBook. Once the headset syncs with your computer, you can actually turn off your MacBook's display and operate multiple windows in your Vision Pro in augmented reality. So you can have many giant screens at the same time. And you can easily switch between these screens just by looking at them and touching them or pointing your finger at them. And the Vision Pro also has some pretty cool features if you're just walking around. Even if you have the headset on your face, you can still see the real world coming through in the background. And that's because you're being fed the real world through a video feed, and the lag is very small—something like 12 milliseconds. So that means you can interact with the real world when you're outside and using the Vision Pro. And I've seen people play a game of ping pong or play catch while they have the headset on. Let's talk about the way to use the headset. You operate it with your eyes and your hands because it tracks your eye movement and hand gestures. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it is really impressive. And the eye tracking function specifically is one of the Vision Pro's、uh, most important features. So whatever you look at. When you have the Vision Pro on, whether you're looking at a specific app window or a button within an app, that part you're looking at is automatically selected, and you can then tap it or manipulate it with your finger movements. So this is made possible because the headset contains 12 cameras and five sensors that look straight outwards, that look down, and even look right back at you into your eyes to make this precision control possible. Now it does take getting some used to because you must be looking at the exact area that you want to work with. If you look away, it selects something else. Are there any drawbacks of this device? Well, this is version one of this headset, and there's really are some areas for improvement. The first criticism is that this thing is heavy. It weighs about 640 grams, and all the weight is concentrated at the front of your face. And apparently, this gets uncomfortable after some time. Second, the battery life for this device is about two to four hours, which is similar to other VR headsets. But the bigger issue is that the battery on the Vision Pro is not part of the headset. It's this external battery pack that connects to the headset with a wire. So you have to carry the battery in your hand or put it in your pocket. 
And the third drawback, at least for now, is the limited app support. Because the device is so new, there just aren't that many new or native apps that are specifically designed for the Vision Pro. But the bigger issue for all of us that watch videos on Netflix or YouTube or listen to music on Spotify is that none of these three apps are currently available for the Vision Pro. But as a user, you can still access Netflix and YouTube if you open up the web browser on the Vision Pro and just navigate to netflix.com or youtube.com. But finally, I think the most important drawback here is that you must really own an iPhone, iPad, or MacBook to get the most out of the Vision Pro. And that's because the Vision Pro pairs with these Apple devices. So if you don't own any Apple devices and the Vision Pro is your first device, you may see some limitations in how much you can use the Vision Pro. So just now you talked about Netflix and other apps. Actually, Netflix's、um, co-CEO said it may not be worth the time to develop a custom Vision Pro app because they want to see if the product catches on. Do you think it's going to be a niche product or something mainstream? Because it's quite expensive, isn't it? The cheapest version costs three thousand and five hundred U.S. dollars. That's about twenty-seven、um, thousand Hong Kong dollars. Yeah, and thirty-five、uh, hundred U.S. dollars is the minimum cost. If you're adding accessories like a case and、um, and like chargers, the cost could be over four thousand U.S. dollars. And for reference, the MetaQuest Pro, which is its closest competitor, sells for as little as one thousand dollars. So it's a very expensive product. So for that reason, others that we've mentioned, the Vision Pro is going to be a niche product for now because it's not about to replace your iPhone or your MacBook, not just yet. But really, just to expand on this, the price here doesn't really matter because Apple knows that the Vision Pro is not a mass market product today. So people buying this are mostly early adopters or technology enthusiasts that have some money. But the more important thing, as we've seen, is that the headset works very well. So I expect the cost and the size of the headset to decrease, and as this product improves over time and becomes more affordable, maybe we'll see developers come in and say, "Okay, we're going to start supporting this product, and maybe it's going to become more of a mainstream product and get out of its niche." As an ordinary customer, do you think that Vision Pro is worth the price point? Well. Part of the high cost is because of the hardware components that are quite expensive. So we've already talked about the cameras and sensors; they're very specialized, and it also has a very powerful processing chip, which costs money to manufacture. But as an ordinary customer, I'd keep an eye on when these costs start coming down, as they do with any new product. But again, since this is a very brand new Apple product, they don't have to justify the price to anyone. They know people will buy it, and when it gets better, they're betting that even more people will buy it in the future. This is the first major new product from Apple in years. I mean, what's its significance to the company? Generally, a few people are saying that this could become a very important part of Apple's high-end product line. So the best case scenario for the Vision Pro today is that it becomes as revolutionary as the first iPhone, because the Vision Pro combines features of a smartphone, a computer, and it takes away the need for physical keyboards and controllers. So once this headset becomes smaller, more affordable, gets better battery life, why shouldn't it become the next big thing?
Elon Musk said his Neuralink company has placed a wireless chip in a human brain. The company's goal is to allow paralyzed people to control smartphones with their thoughts only. We don't know a lot about the procedure, but、um, how would the brain implant work in principle? We've already seen Neuralink's implanted into monkeys, and the monkeys have used the brain chip to play video games hands-free. The Neuralink itself is a wireless computer chip. About the size of a 50-cent coin, and it contains something like 1,024 electrodes. Now, a surgical robot goes into your brain and implants the chip, so that's both scary and fascinating at the same time. So, once the chip is in your brain, it connects to a computer wirelessly, and the electrodes on the chip that we talked about transfer the signals from the brain's neurons to the computer. So, when I think about moving the cursor on the screen to the right. The cursor moves to the right on the screen. But there's still a long way to go before the tech is really available, right? Yeah, we are really in only step one today, and there will be years of testing with patients suffering from spinal cord injuries and paralysis. There's going to be a lot of test data, and the FDA and medical safety bodies will be heavily involved. Similar implants are also being developed for people who have mobility issues, right? Yes, absolutely. So, brain-computer interfaces and brain implants are not that new. For example, in 2022, researchers from the University of California developed a brain-computer interface that allowed a woman with severe paralysis to speak in her own old voice using a digital avatar. Yeah, I also read about a Swiss study. The researchers helped a paralyzed man to walk again with the help of some electronic implants on his brain and spine. Apart from helping patients, what other potential applications are there when we talk about brain implants? Could they improve the performance of our brains? If you believe Elon Musk's promises, Neuralink's implants could one day cure blindness, help paralyzed people walk. And eventually, even augment anyone's brain to give us superhuman intelligence. We can argue that we haven't really gotten that much more intelligent over the past hundred or two hundred years. It's just that we have access to technology such as computers that give us better access to information. But the way we interact with phones and computers is honestly kind of slow. We type very slowly with our fingers, and we read relatively slowly, page by page, word by word. But what if we could communicate wirelessly with computers and literally download information into our brain? So what if, as Elon Musk said on Twitter a few days ago, what if Stephen Hawking, the world's greatest astrophysicist who also happened to be paralyzed, what if he could type faster than a speed typist? How much more work could he have done? So this is a very futuristic vision, and we won't get there in the near future. But what Neuralink is working on is quite promising. But there are ethical concerns using chips to improve human intelligence. If we project into the future when brain implants might become more common, some concerns revolve around consent and things like equality. What would happen if employees are pressured to use a brain implant by their companies? Would that be too much, or would that be normalized behavior? What about the risk to our own mental health from a malfunctioning brain implant that changes the way we think or changes our mental state because it was not properly implanted or properly researched? We've talked about the positive ways that brain implants can be used. Is there any chance this tech may be misused? In theory, people with brain implants could have their behavior, emotions, and actions 
manipulated by another person or organization that can access that brain interface. Or in a future when we all have brain implants, we might just share or leak some of our neural data when we apply to a job or take standardized tests. What happens if some companies are using our neural data to discriminate against certain people based on their thought patterns or mental health status? What about a future when cyber criminals can hack brain implants, inject false memories, or even extract information from a person's brain? But today, I can't tell you how any of these misuses could actually be done. But one day, we may have to start worrying about all of this. 